Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I've got uh, two messages today. This one this morning is called Solid as a Rock. And then tonight, I've called it the blessed hope. So you uh, right in line when you started talking about hope today. But I want to talk about end times. Uh, and so you might need to come out if you're interested. Uh, it's a subject, I preached this message last weekend, and it's the first time in 30, I've been ministering 40 years, and it's the first time in 35 years that I've talked about end time events. And I believe we need to open our heart to what is happening around the world right now and really get ourselves connected with the greatest hope of all, and that's the person of Jesus Christ, so that we're able to stand in a season where there's a lot of vulnerability, a lot of change, a lot of hopelessness, and people really do need something to hold on to. So you might need to come out tonight. It's called The Blessed Hope. Amen. And uh, I pray that God will do something special in unlocking something in your life in Jesus' name. Got to get this thing working right. We're away. Solid as a rock. I, Helen and I have just returned from being in Israel. That was a special time. It's something we'd never done in our life before. And in a way, this message came out, or both messages have come out of just as we toured through and just observed some things. But this message especially came as we came to the spot uh, recorded in Matthew chapter 16, verses 17 to 20, where Peter had this amazing revelation. And I want to read the passage of Scripture just to state a place. There's something humming up here. Is that... Can that disappear? Uh, if it doesn't, I can talk over it, but there we are. Good. It's gone. It just says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, that, that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. How about just uh, closing your eyes for a moment, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray something of your word would just really come alive in our hearts today. Our relationship with you, Jesus, would just go to another level and that we would understand just the magnitude of your influence upon our lives, and, and we just ask you to move in a powerful way. Amen. Amen. I, I remember standing and uh, listening to a guy prophesy over someone else, and he used a term that I'd never heard anyone use before. He just said, you will have to watch that you don't fall over 
on a slimy rock of pride. And, uh, and I remember hearing it. I thought, oh, that's an interesting illustration because I don't know if any of you have been hikers or trampers, but one of the dangers when you're hiking or tramping is you go to cross over a river or a, a, a waterway and you're not too sure of what's underneath but you, 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 find yourself putting, you find yourself putting your foot on, a, on a, a rock to only discover that it's covered with slime. And that rock is very dangerous because it can actually put you in the water where you're trying to stand up and be secure from not landing in that destination. And, you know, that slimy rock of pride uh, is just something that, that, that can cause you and I to fall over. And I believe that in life, you know, the rock we stand on can be either secure, but if we're not careful, it can actually be a rock that's covered with slime that actually uh, was meant to be there for security, but actually we find there's no stability into it. And in life, you've really got to watch how you build. Because if you don't build right, your Christianity can actually become quite disillusioning. And I want to just talk about, from this passage of Scripture, four areas that you and I need to really watch in life how we build. And the first one, and they're all centered around this passage of Scripture. The first one is really, if I was to give it a line, is just simply, it's about the revelation of who Christ is. And for Peter, he had a divine revelation we was able to say, Jesus, you're more than just a man. You're more than just a prophet. You're not Elijah, but you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, which was very much a profound encounter and a profound revelation. While I was, uh, Helen and I were in Israel, we had our daughter with us, and we were taken around by a Messianic Jew. And he wanted to tell us his story. He had grown up in a Jewish home, and he tried to find God in religion, tried to find God in his Jewishness, and he never really found the reality of it, even though he formed a whole lot of information, but he never really found Jesus. So he went on a quest to find God. And in that quest, he got into many different areas. He searched for God and Hare Krishna. Then he went to India. He went into Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, he went into drugs. He went into sex. He went into everything, trying to find God. And he said, I came to a place after three years where I was just so desperate that I, in all those areas, I searched for God, but I found no peace, no reality in my heart. And one day he just said, I lay on the floor in this apartment that he was living in and he lay on the floor and he just cried out. He said, God, if you are real, show yourself. And immediately there was this light like a person standing over him. And he said that day Jesus came into that room and he had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. He searched for God in many different areas. He tried to find it through tradition. He tried to find it through, through chance, a whole lot of different areas. But that day, Jesus came into his room. He was manifest. He made himself known. He said, that was the beginning of my journey. Jesus revealed himself, but that was the beginning of my journey of knowing God personally. 
And his story was an amazing story because he went on to say that not many Jews find Jesus in Israel. They're gonna go outside Israel to find Jesus. And he said, that's quite a true story. But for you and I, we can grow up in, a, in, in, in life in New Zealand and we can grow up with a belief. I think I might've mentioned my story before, but I look back in my life and I have a, a journey where I've never doubted the existence of God. I've always believed there's a God. And I always believed that Jesus was the son of God. So I, as a young boy, would even go to church. I'd go to church on a Sunday, an Anglican church, but then I could be known to get drunk on Monday. So even though I had a belief, I never encountered a revelation. And sadly in Pentecost today, my observation is we've got to be careful that we're not actually dropping back into what we might accuse other traditions of being locked into, we're not dropping into it. So in a way, we have a belief. But the revelation of who Jesus is and how that operates and manifests in our day-to-day -day life, is it real? Is Jesus real? Is he encountered? Do you have an encounter with him? Or is, is Jesus just a good gig for an hour and a half on Sunday? Because I think your quippers is quite a good gig. The music's good. Most of the time, the people up the front are pretty good. <laughs> We're not a bad bunch, but I think you can actually get caught into the gig of church and forget really what this is all about. It's actually about a personal relationship, a revelation of who Jesus is and how that in, has encountered you and how it's transformed you as a person. So I think of my encounter growing up, the age of 12, giving my heart to Christ, didn't really change me, but I remember the encounter. But then at 22, making a very determined decision to follow Jesus. And so powerful was that encounter that it changed my whole life, not just the gig on Sunday. In fact, the gig on Sunday was an Anglican service, which I found incredibly boring. <laughs> it didn't really help me a lot, but I did it. But then for me, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I discovered who Jesus is. And I can remember points in my life, the revelation, this encounter of who Jesus is changed the way I thought. It changed the way I acted. It changed many facets of my life. It was a significant moment. And the word knowing in the Bible, the word knowing is not the knowing in your mind. I think a lot of Christians are trying to know God through the, the academic of their mind. The word knowing is not that. Even though the knowing academically is important because you, you know someone, the more you learn about them. But the knowing, the word knowing, it's a knowing. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's, a, it's an intuitive knowing. 
It's, it's even greater than a husband and wife, even though I think that's a pretty powerful illustration. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated my wife's uh, parents' 70th wedding anniversary, which was pretty amazing. 70 is pretty good. I actually read the same weeks so I gave my father-in-law a challenge where someone had celebrated their 86th wedding anniversary. And that person was 109 and his wife was 107. I said, I don't know whether I want you to live that long, because, <laughs> but anyhow, here's the challenge. <laughs> but, but here's this cute old guy, seven, uh, he, he's 93 and his wife's 90. And I give him a little speech and we stand up and toast. And then he says, I want to dedicate my vows to my wife. And he sat in a chair opposite her, and old timers would probably know this song, but he sung the song to her, I will be loving you always. I'll be loving you always. And here is this old guy, 93, committing his vows after 70 years. And I looked over for a moment, and I saw my sons, I got three boys, and I don't think I've seen them cry for a long time. <laughs> but here they were crying as they saw their granddad recommit his vows to his wife at 70 years of age. Quite a moving moment. I reckon they would know one another. <laughs> How many reckon they'd know one another? <laughs> Amen? How many reckon they'd know one another? It would be more than a knowing a knowledge, where they were born, where they came from. There would be that intimacy, there would be that tenderness, there'd be even that anger at times that they've had to ne negotiate through difficulty, but there's that knowing. Now that's the human part of knowing, but the knowing of Jesus is very much like that. It's not just, it's not just a pathway of religion, it's not just something you tell people you are, I'm a Christian, no, no. What does it really mean? How true, how authentic is your day-to-day -day walk with Jesus? And really, in a way, Peter's revelation of Christ that day, I think, changed his life. I don't just think. The Bible tells us. It did. It changed him. It changed him. He had a greater revelation of this man just being a prophet. He saw him as the promised Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, who came to change. Uh, uh, it's almost like God came to us. God was us, the hope of glory. And then you get the great apostle Paul just using the words that I might know him. Amen? I'm here to, I'm here to in a way, ch challenge your, your, your perspective today. I'm here to enlarge your understanding. There's been times in my life where the presence of God has been so powerful that all as I've wanted to do is fall down on the ground and be prostrate in the presence of God. When I've read a book or read something in Scripture and it's challenged my humanity, it's God with me. It's God with me. The power to pray is not a religious duty. It's something you do because you want to know this person, Jesus, more. And I believe that right now God's calling the Christian church and our nation back to authenticity. He's calling this church back to a revelation because the, the, the world, the, 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 the hold of the world 
will never give you the stability of Christ. He is a solid rock. He will not let you down. He is secure. It doesn't matter what you go through. Jesus is there. He's secure. Amen? Come on, He's secure. He's our security. He's our rock. He's our salvation. He's our hope. He's our deliverer. He's our fortress. He's our great coming King. He's our Redeemer. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the banner. He's our glory and the lifter of our head. Come on, His name is Jesus. How much do you know Him? And I believe that God's bringing us back to that authenticity. The second area that I want to talk about is the revelation of identity. When you know Jesus in a personal way, you'll actually learn to know who you are. You'll actually come to a place of security about your own personal identity. And this, is, this, this, this was a challenge for Peter because in the scripture, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. So he had a name, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. Now what he was doing was he was revealing who this man really is. This, was, this is who you were, but this is who God has made you to be. Not Simon Bar-Jonah, but Peter who really literally means rock. But he identified something. And the amazing thing in Peter's journey is that God, Jesus, prophetically spoken to him about what he saw. Isn't that amazing? Come on, isn't it amazing? God sees in us sometimes something we cannot see in ourselves. He sees it in us. He's spoken to him. I don't know what Peter felt that moment, but I often think of the men who were walking, if you know the story, after Jesus had risen from the dead, these men were walking down, two men walking down the road called Emmaus, and someone came beside them and started talking to them. Don't you like it when Jesus somehow just turns up? I've been in a room. I can remember being in a room in my office when I was in a place in Wanganui in New Zealand. I remember being in that room, sitting there one morning, and I know I had a conversation with Jesus that lasted one hour. And I remember my, it was as though my heart was burning as Jesus spoke. And as these guys were walking down the road and they were talking and then Jesus disappears. Their comment was, didn't our hearts burn? Come on, didn't our hearts burn? No, I don't have that burning sensation every day. But I think there's moments in our life where God is speaking into yours and my humanity where there must be some response. Come on, there must be a response where something in our heart burns because God is revealing to us things about our, uh, who we are and about our future. What God's, gonna, what God's placing before us. And I think that's so powerful. So here's the revelation. I've just got four things around fire. 
about identity. The word burnt. I remember for me, that, that encounter in a little office, it was a funny old house, it doesn't even exist today, but God turned up. Many of the things I, I talked to Jesus about in that room changed my life. They directed, they changed the path of my future. God wants to speak to you. God is not distant from you. God wants to speak. If he could speak to Noah about building an ark, if he could speak to Solomon about building a temple, if he could speak to Nehemiah about restoring the walls, if he could speak to Zerubbabel, if he could speak to Paul, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is no different. He can speak to you. And I believe he wants us to have that expectation. But then let him speak. When he speaks, the fire of his word, I believe, creates a challenge. Then this fire of revelation, there's the fire of the enemy. How many understand the term, the fire of the enemy? What happens in our life? God sees something in us. He saw something in Peter. But not long after Peter had the revelation, Satan came to Peter. And he said to Peter, Peter, I said to, sorry, Jesus, he came to Jesus, said, I, I, you know, I want to, I reckon that guy won't last if I get hold of him. And Jesus confidently said, okay, he's yours. Do you think Jesus would do that to you? He does. There's a point in our life where he will allow us to be exposed because the only way he can deal with some of the areas of our vulnerability is to expose us to the evil around us because he wants to build strength. And Peter finds himself by what I call the fire of the enemy. The fire of the enemy is found in John, Luke chapter 22, verse 56. Seeing Peter as he sat by a fire they asked him a question. Oh, are you, one, are you one of them? And he denied it. No, no, no. I don't know who he is. So the very, the one minute, here's this man saying, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In that declaration, I guarantee Peter was thinking, I will never fail you. I will be with you to the end. I'm with you. you, you, you I made a commitment. I made a decision. Amen. We bit like a marriage. That's what your rings were meant to represent. You have a good day and you have a bad day. Same in our relationship with Jesus. And God will allow it. But the whole aim of that fire of the enemy is to bring us to a place of strength, security. And then there's the, the fire of the enemy, but there's the fire of restoration. Because God loves us. Amen? Come on, God loves us. How many know God loves you? And I love the story. One of the things we did, Helen and I, I don't know why we wanted to do it, but we just wanted to go to the place in Israel. And I'm trying to think I should sit down and do this. Uh, and then if I get down, will I get up? I'm sure I will. Or sit here. Fire restoration. We went to the very beach 
that they would say Peter lit the fire. Cooking the fish. And then these guys had given up hope. Been fishing. Peter hears again. Put Jeanette on the other side. They obey his bidding. They get this such a massive catch of fish that Peter was no longer taken by the catch of fish, but he knew who had told him to do that initially. Now he's telling him again, and he gets out of the boat. I don't know whether he walked on water, but boy, he, he went to the beach. And Helen and I just sat on that beach. And the thought of times in our life where God has come to restore. Because he's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love. The fire of his word penetrates our humanity. He will allow us to at times stand at the fire of the enemy because he wants to develop something else. But he always has a plan to bring us to the fire of restoration. Restoration is a powerful place in life. It's a powerful place. It's a place where God restores. And Peter is challenged. And I'm not going into the Greek context, but Jesus, do you love me, Peter? You know I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. But he was the restoration. He was the healing. And then he prophetically speaks, this is what I've destined you to. But what he was doing is he was no longer just speaking into the character of Peter being like a rock. He was now establishing Peter's feet that they would be securely planted on a rock. It doesn't matter what was happening in the world. Amen? And I believe that's an amazing challenge of walking with Jesus, is that God, God wants to bring you to a place, you and I to a place where our feet are sure. Amen? Our feet are sure. Our feet are sure. And the final fire, which I'm not talking a lot about, but is the fire of the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost, when they were empowered to do what God had commissioned them to do. Amazing was their influence. That's where your identity comes. Revelation is an encounter. But the revelation of identity is God helping you to understand who you are and what God's created you for. And everyone's unique. I love Peter. I love his unique characteristics. I think he's, he's uh, impulsive. How many people impulsive in this room? Put your hand up if you're impulsive. Come on, be honest. I, I, I think it would be like sometimes the other guys were just saying, shut up, Peter. Just shut up. But, but he was Peter who became the spokesman who spoke the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Had a revelation, then went through a fire of difficulty, then met the fire on the beach where he was stored, then received the fire of Pentecost, 
And then he spoke the most powerful sermon. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing journey. But his identity was being established through that area of difficulty. And as every one of us in this room, come on, your identity needs shaping. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to change. <laughs> what does the slippery rock of pride look like? Come on, what's the slippery rock of pride look like? I'm all right. I'm all right. Don't tell me I need to change. I'm all right. That's the slippery rock of pride. It'll never build identity and security in your life. Come on, you, you, you sometimes just need to challenge that slime that's got over the rock and come to Christ in humility and say, wow, I do need to change. I do need to get my life secure. There's areas in my life that I need to allow God to speak and minister into. The third area, so the first one was the revelation, uh, was the revelation of Christ. We all need that. I don't think you can change your identity like Jesus can. That's why we need him. Amen? The second thing is your, your identity. But the third thing we all need is a revelation of evil. Revelation of evil. You think that's a strange statement made. But Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. You, 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 can't, you can't say it, we're not ignorant without knowing. You've got to know your enemy to defeat him. Amen? Some people are very naive. You've got to know your enemy if you're going to defeat him. I just uh, put a couple of photos I took while I was away, and, uh, and they, I hope they'll put them up there. There's just two simple photos. And you wonder, can you do that? Yep. yep. There we are. There's, there's a hole in a rock. Shoot the other one up if you wouldn't mind. There's uh, the pathway. This is where Peter, our Jesus, was telling these guys. This is Caesarea Philippi. This is where he was. This, on the right-hand side, was a temple. was built there to a god named Pan God, was the god of the shepherds. And they had a big temple that stood in front of that big hole. If you go back to the hole again, that hole there, there was a big temple, came right out in front of it. It's where they worshipped this foreign god, these evil gods. But that hole behind is a big spring, uh, a big uh, spring of water, and they don't really know how deep it is. But in that, people would go into it and they'd never be seen again. And it's that place that they would do human sacrifice, just in front there, just in the front of this. And this is where Jesus was when he made the statement. He was in Caesarea Philippi. And all around it was all uh, the Romans. Originally, the pan god came from Greece, but then the Romans took hold of it. And here he was, he was saying to them, you now listen to the words. Just as I will build my church. And he said, the gates of, come on, the gates of Hades. That, they would see that like Hades. People would be swallowed up to Hades, the innermost parts of the earth. That's what he was referring to. 
On this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. These forces of evil will never ever be able to overcome the power of the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? And when you stand there, it's a, again a moment for me when I stood there because it's one place I wanted to go, was to realize that, wow, this was not just a, a figure of speech. This was a real place. And Jesus, I think, would have turned and he would have said to these disciples, you know, this gate, the gates of Hades, will not prevail over what I want to do with the church. This God's a God of fear. This God's a God where people are, are being induced, are being taken into a world that is not even real. And we've got to realize we live in a world, you say, well, that doesn't apply to us. But we live in a country that's very secular. Secularism is like a God that's trying to get hold of people's humanity, which really, in a way, pushes God out. Now, I'm not speaking to you, but that's the nature of the world we live in. And if we're not, if we're not alert to what is around us, it doesn't really take long for that to actually take hold of you. And it's very cunning, it's very subtle. It can actually get into you before long your thinking starts to change and even your relationship with Jesus can actually be destroyed because somehow you're letting something come in and the nature, the, 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 the way that'll, that, that, that'll uh, have a force is it will come with fear. It will come with, well, I don't want to stand out for my faith. I don't want to, I don't want to present, perhaps, I, perhaps I'm thinking too strongly. The older I get, the more I think, well, am I just a silly old purist? But I believe in marriage. I believe in marriage as a marriage is between a man and a woman. I believe it's very biblical. I believe what the Bible says about certain forces that are working in society today. If I, if I become ignorant to that, I'll, I'll get caught up with the thought, oh, well, no, the world's changing. Is the world changing? Is it any different? I don't think it's any different. I think we face the same forces, the same temptations, the same, but, but what secularism does is it says, no, 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 we need to change with the times. If it feels good, do it. Come on, be careful. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Allow something of the word of God to get into your heart. I love the story of Joseph in the Bible. And uh, Joseph was uh, a man who'd had a similar encounter. Most people in the Bible who make a difference have an encounter with God and he'd had an encounter with God through a dream. How many of you ever had a dream? And dreams are powerful. Never put down a dream. They speak of your future, even though your future can be a long way off. And so Joseph had that. The silly thing for Joseph is that he was on a bit of a slimy rock of pride, I think. <laughs> and his pride caused him to slip because he told his brothers that one day they'll bow down to him. Not a good thing to tell your older brothers, just a thought. <laughs> Even though it proved true, but pride was really a bit of a driving force. Then he finds himself being sold and he's in the house of a man by the name of Potiphar. And the, the woman in the house tries to seduce Joseph. But here's an interesting word. I want you to catch hold of it. And it came to pass 
After these days, the master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But it just says, but he refused. He refused. Take the word refused. Say refused. Refused. Bobby might say to me, Bruce, this is your seat. No, I don't want to sit there, Bobby. I refuse to sit in that seat. No, I want to sit over here. This is where I want to sit. Now, my refusal was immediate because he placed the situation. No, I don't like sitting here. I like being in the middle. I'm sitting there. But that's not the refusal. The refusal was based, are you ready? Please catch this. The refusal was based on his revelation of who God is. His refusal was based on his identity. And his refusal was also based on his future. Can I say it again? His refusal was based on his revelation of who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, I fear God. I said to my three boys, I might have told you this before, when they were growing up, told them the facts of life. And then I said, you know, you're gonna date a girl. You're gonna get in the car and something will just go inside you. I'm sure you know what I mean. <laughs> All chemistry will go. I said, it's normal. I said, the idea is to save it to a loving relationship called marriage. So I'm not going to tell you whether you hold a girl's hand, kiss a girl. But I just said to them, just remember, wherever you are, Jesus is there. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Jesus is there. That was my introduction to the world. I don't think sometimes we live as though Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Live with a revelation. The second thing is you live with a revelation of who you are. Because you know that the world's out there to trip you up, to rob you of your identity, to take away what God's purpose is for your life. But also I think the refusals on the basis of what you see for your future. God's merciful, He's loving, He restores, He heals, amen? Come on. Revelation of Jesus. I, I, I know you thought, where's this guy going? This is, this is just a puppy sermon. <laughs> no, it's not. When you have a strong revelation of who Jesus is, it helps you to understand who you are. When you know who you are, you learn about the forces out there because there's going to come moments in life based upon who Jesus is in you where you're going to have to say, no, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. I refuse. Now, it actually cost Joseph his place in that house and it actually put him in prison. But I reckon he lived with a clear conscience because he refused on the basis of his understanding of who God is, his understanding of who he is. 
He knows how subtle the devil is. And the devil will always try to rob you of your destiny. Amen. So we need a revelation of Jesus. Thou art the Christ. We never need a revelation of who we are. With everyone in this room, God has chosen you. He's chosen you from the beginning of time to manifest His love and His glory. We need a revelation of evil. And finally, we need a revelation of authority. Some, some Christians want authority without the other. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I grew up hearing a message, just about closing, a message in my early relationship with Jesus. And this guy just said, take three words. I'm not putting them on a board, but I'm sure you can get them in your, in your mind. The word relationship. Your relationship with Jesus will determine your platform of revelation. Those who seek Him will find Him. The Bible's clear. My mate, he cried on a floor in an apartment in India. God, if you're real, after absolute desperation, and this light came into his room and he was immediately transformed and saved. You call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. You will be. So you have relationship. Relationship will bring about a revelation of who God is in your world and who you are. When you have relationship, how many want a bit more authority in their life? Come on, I'm helping you. How many want more authority? When you have relationship with Jesus, you will have revelation of who He is and who you are. And then that will be the platform of your authority. That will be the platform of your authority. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I believe God is calling the Christian church to rise to a new place of authority, a new place of intimacy, a new place of direction, a new place of destiny, a new place of hope, a new place where we, we, we understand it's not, about, it's not about the choice of your friend It's not about the choice even of your mum and dad, even though it should be inspirational to you. It's not about the choice of your nation or your culture. It is about your choice, your choice, your hunger. I cannot, I have been married almost 50 years. I cannot hide behind the revelation of my wife. I can't. I, I can't say she's got it together. I'll just coast. Come on, some of you men are hiding. Come on, come into a relationship with Jesus. It will, it will make you more masculine. It won't emasculate you. You won't become a goody two-shoes. It will reveal your manliness. Men pray.
because they need God. And we need to see our nation changed. I know we've just had an election. I'm not even talking about, but but religion, uh, but political laws don't change the heart of humanity. The Church of Jesus Christ does. You can try and govern change, which we need a bit of, but you change society through the Church of Jesus Christ, where God's people rise to be who God's called them to be. Not just living with a belief system, but living with the knowledge and the reality of who Jesus is. He's a redeemer. He's merciful. He's gracious. I want to finish with this. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. This is the Message Bible. It's probably one of my, what I say, personal defining scriptures. I love personal defining scriptures. You listen to the words well put in the Message Bible. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash. Isn't it true people sort of parade how much money they've got or how well qualified? None of them are wrong. Or where they were born. I'm a Cantabrian. Well, I'm not, but <laughs> you know, it's like we wave the colour of our skin. Sam's married to a girl by the name of Cassie. They have three girls. Three girls have got brown skin. Because they've got brown skin and Kathy is Samoan, are they Samoan? Just remember, I'm their granddad. Come on, think about it. Think about how we categorise, how we class, how we put people in boxes. I'm tearing up and throwing it in the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all these things I once thought were so important have gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. He uses the term Dog dung. Horrible dog dung when you go over it with a mower. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> Terrible stuff. I'm just giving you what he was saying here. I dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get a robust kind that comes from trust in Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up the inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, experiencing His resurrection power, being a partner of His suffering and going all the way with Him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted it. Amen. I mean, like that. I like that. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 